scripture reading this morning uh, is from Matthew 2. We've been, if you just joined us, we've been going through a series of sermons on Advent. We've been looking through the Gospel of Matthew. This morning we're looking at the climax to the Gospel story of Jesus' coming in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. So if you have Bibles, you can open it up. You can follow along as we also projecting this on the screen. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. This is a reading of God's Word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. They fell down. They worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And behold, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. This is a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning that we can celebrate the coming of Jesus. Pray for all of us, some who might be new to the faith, some who might be outside the faith, that all of us would be, come to see the glory of Jesus' coming. And like the wise men who are really outside of your promises, uh, that they were brought in to see and be amazed and worship Christ the King. So bring us into worship this morning. Reveal yourself to us as the king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad that you can join us this morning. We are, this is the last Sunday of Advent. And the last Sunday of Advent is really a Sunday not to uh, wait for Jesus, but to celebrate the fact that Jesus has already come. It's a Sunday in which we uh, celebrate. And I've been saying throughout the series that we need Advent maybe more than ever before. Because we live in a very dark time. Uh, we live in dark times in our in our city, struggling with a lot of issues in our country. This last week, we have uh, you know a lot of the darkness come f- from the politics and the turmoil in our country. This last Sunday, we saw our, our president impeached. It's divided our country ha- in half, and regardless of what half you're on on that issue, it's unsettling. Uh, we see global. Uh, uncertainty. We see the rise of um, we see the rise of dictators and authoritarian governments, and there's a lot of unsettling news all around us. Uh, I was talking to a woman who is a young mother who has uh, two young kids, and she said that this last week she woke up in the middle of the night from a panic attack, 
and just troubled by the things happening all around her. She has a daughter who is being bullied online. She has a son uh, who is acting out. She doesn't know what's wrong with him. She's troubled by all of the idea of bringing up children in an environment that is being uh, destroyed. And she feels unsettled. And she feels unsettled. She feels worried about things to come. And we've been saying throughout the series that Advent is a season to actually get in touch with the dark things around us. To not pretend like everything is alright. But to get in touch with that darkness. Ultimately, Advent is about the, coming to the end of ourselves. That we cannot solve these problems by ourselves. But we wait for a king to come. Uh, today we're looking at this idea that there is a king who has come and is coming who will bring an ultimate peace. Uh, there is a king who will make everything right, everything broken in a world. He is making it right. He will make it one day completely right. Today, as we get to the heart of Advent, we're going to look at how Jesus has come into the world to be the king, the true king, the king that we need, that all of us desperately long for. We just sang the hymn, Joy to the World. And in that hymn, the opening lines are, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Advent is about the idea that the king has come into the world. He's come into the world. The rightful king. So today as we look at this text, we're going to look at three things about Jesus' coming. Three things. We're going to look at the fact that he's a true king. He's a servant king. And the idea of how we can respond to that king. Those three things. And the first thing is this idea of the true king. During Advent... Uh, We've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew opens up his Gospel, the history, the biography, if you will, of Jesus, with a long genealogy. There are all kinds of names. We open up the sermon series with that. All kinds of names and people that came before Jesus. Matthew lists out in this long list of names almost all of the kings that came before him. And all of that history of all these kings that came before Jesus, one of the ideas is none of those kings had it right. Even the best king, David, who is in many sense the greatest king of Israel, even he was deeply flawed. He committed adultery. He murdered his best general to cover it up. And the whole genealogy is meant to say that none of these kings were were it. We need a true king, a righteous king. Uh, In the end of Matthew 1, uh, the news breaks to Joseph. And it's given to Joseph first that your fiancé is being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And through Mary, the true king will come into the world. The true king. Uh, The Emmanuel, God himself, is coming down to rule his people. This is great news for everybody except for Herod. Herod in chapter 2 is considered the king of the Jews. He ruled for 33 years. He was a ruler known for his brutality. And he gets word from these magi. Verse 2, there is this, uh, there is these wise men. Verse 1, wise men, they are technically called magi. Magi are astronomers. They were astronomers. They were scholars, scientists. They were often advisors to the king. They're probably from Babylon. And they come all the way from Babylon to Jerusalem to talk to Herod. And they said to Herod, Herod, uh, there is an event 
which shows us that the true king has come. Uh, often in ancient times, the, a rising star was a prophetic sign of the king, the true king. We see this actually in the Bible. In Numbers 24, if you read that, that text, in verse 17, it's a prophecy from Balaam. This is what it says. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It will crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Uh, Balaam's prophecy is that one day the true king will rise. And we know when he will come because a star will come out of Jacob. A star will come out of Jacob. The scepter, a symbol of the king, uh, uh, will come into the earth. And from ancient times and ancient traditions, they were looking for that star because it marked the arrival of the true king. For centuries, scholars and astronomers have speculated exactly what that star was about. There, there's some theories. There are a few theories. Uh, some astronomers, scholars say it, it might have been a comet that uh, rose above Jesus. Some believe it was a planetary conjunction. Jupiter and Saturn, for instance, uh, came together in 7 B.C. One of the greatest astronomers of all time, who was also a Christian, Johann Kepler, his theory was that it was a nova. A nova is a stellar explosion uh, that creates such a bright light that it's, uh, it's seen for months after it happens. Chinese astronomers discovered there was a nova that happened around 4 BC, which places it right around the time of Jesus' birth. And regardless of what you think that was, we know that it was a cosmic event that caught the attention of everybody, especially these astronomers. And it marked the idea that not only was there a king that was coming, but in their minds and hearts, it was the king that was coming. And that idea of the star that was coming right above Jesus was a picture of the idea that Jesus is not, he's just not an earthly ruler, but he controls the stars. He controls the sea and the winds. Jesus would be a king, not just of the earth, but the heavens and earth. Jesus was, would control all that. I was reading a historical account of Napoleon. You know, one of the greatest military minds and generals. And there was an account that Napoleon, who was so in command of his troops, that he could order any of his troops to march off a cliff and they would do it. I was thinking to myself, that's kind of bad. You know, that's kind of amazing that his troops would do that for him. You know, that he would have such a command over his people. You know, many of us don't have that command over anything. I can't even get my kids to brush their teeth at night, you know, without threatening them. They won't even listen to me. Napoleon had all kinds of command over his men. But think about Jesus in his life. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, just a few chapters later, Jesus is on a boat and it's about to be capsized because of the wind and the waves of the storms on the sea. And they wake up Jesus in a, in a frantic rush. And what does Jesus do? It says they woke up Jesus and Jesus looked around at the, at the boat and the waves and he, it says he rebukes the wind. He basically tells the wind to knock it off with a few words. And it says the wind dies down. 
Who is this Jesus? They, they all look at Jesus in terror. Who are you? And who is he? He doesn't just command men, but the wind and the waves. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of all things. Everything listens to Jesus, the universe, the wind, the waves, the hearts of men. He's the true king. He's the ultimate king. The mission of Jesus uh, is that he's not come to be an earthly leader, a political leader, a ruler of men. He's not just come to give us better laws or principles or morality. Jesus has come. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's come to bring heaven down to earth. That's one way to look at Jesus. He's come to bring heaven down to earth. I like to say that Jesus has come to kick hell out of earth. He's come to kick the hell out of hell, all the evil and oppression and injustice and sin. He's come to kick that out, and he's come to bring heaven down. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's come to bring heaven down to earth. He's the king, the true, the righteous king that we all been looking for. And when the Magi, even the Magi realize this, the Magi, remember, they're probably from Babylon. Uh, they are scholars and scientists. And when they come to Herod, Herod tells the Magi, Magi, would you investigate this for me? I'm sending you, I'm commissioning you. Would you figure this out? Tell me where this king has been born. So they send, Herod sends them out and they find Jesus. They follow that cosmic event. And in verse 11, it says when they see Jesus, they fall down and worship him. Remember, these are diplomats. These are scholars, scientists, and they fall before an infant, baby Jesus. And it says that they worship him and they give him three gifts. We're going to look at this closely right at the end. They give him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you know the Bible, if you know the Old Testament, you know those three things. They were not coincidental gifts. In First Kings, the queen of Sheba gives those exact gifts to King Solomon. These were gifts for a king. And it says afterwards, these magi, uh, they don't actually report back to Herod what they're supposed to do. It says they go back home. And what's that about? The Magi switch allegiances. They're like, we're not about Herod, this king of earth. We're about the king of heaven and earth. And our loyalties are with him. What is Jesus about? What is, what is his coming about? It's about the coming of the king of heaven and earth. It's heaven come down. It's the true king that has come to us. You know, and if you realize Jesus is the king, it, it can actually be quite liberating. You know, I was reading a story about a Christian woman who was, when she was a teenager, she got into a tragic accident which left her paralyzed. She couldn't walk. And she said early on she struggled with that and she was angry at God. Like, God, how can you make this happen? Ruin my life. She woke up this one morning. This is what she said. She says, God, I don't have the right to run the universe. She says, God, I'm not the king. I don't run this universe. That's up to you. And she says after she came to the realization of God and his power and his sovereignty, she began to have peace. And that peace led to a joyful life. And it led to a life of ministering to other people in her situation. 
And when, when you have anxiety or anger, anxiety is this. Anxiety is saying, God, I don't think you're in control. That's what anxiety is about. I'm in control. I don't think you're in control. Bitterness is when you think God is in control, but he did it all wrong. That he messed up my life. But peace comes when you realize, God, you are in control and you're good. You have a perfect plan. You're the king of the universe, Lord of heaven and earth. And peace comes from knowing that king, this king over heaven and earth. Jesus has not come to be a a political, uh, earthly king, but the king of heaven and earth. But here's the second thing about Jesus. He's not just this king of heaven and earth, not just a sovereign king. But secondly, he's come to serve us. You know, when you think about kings, especially ancient kings and even rulers today, you might think of someone who is born into great wealth and privilege. You know, they come from this royal dynastic line of wealth and privilege. In ancient times, a kings lived extravagant lifestyles. Uh, even today, uh, political leaders uh, have... Uh, they. They live in many ways opulent lifestyles. Uh, in many ways, they uh, fly on private jets. They have an entourage of protection. Uh, dictators seize power and they rule with brutality. They eliminate all of the rivals. They enrich their family and their friends. We see that happening all over the world. But look with how Jesus came into the world. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, we didn't read it this morning, but it reads that Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus, when he was, when Mary is about to give birth, we read that there was no room for them. You know, they, they didn't have any, any hotels available to them. So Jesus was born, many people speculate he was either born in a barn outside or he was born in a spare bedroom uh, that was... Uh, an extra bedroom for, for Mary and Joseph, but it was not lavish at all. In fact, Luke tells us Jesus' first crib was a manger. Manger is a f- feeding dish. Jesus' first crib was like a cardboard box, basically. He's born on the outskirts, outside. And in our text, we read that right after Jesus was born, they're on the run. Joseph hears word that Herod's not happy. Herod's not happy, and Jesus' life is in danger. So what does the family do? It says that they, uh, they go down to Egypt. Uh, there is an enclave in Egypt, a city called Alexandria, where a lot of expatriates who are running from Herod, they would flee to this one town. Uh, it was a place of refugees. Today here, we hear all of these stories about um, refugees fleeing from violence, from war. They live in makeshift shelters, in tents, scavenging for food and resources. That was the life of Jesus. Jesus' earliest memories must have been as a refugee fleeing violence, on the run, on the go, with, with his parents, Mary and Joseph. It wasn't after it wasn't until after Herod died that they were able to return back to their homeland. Uh, Jesus was, did not grow up in opulence and wealth, uh, but he was born outside. He was a refugee running for his life. And this all prepared Jesus for his ministry. It all prepared Jesus for his ministry. When he finally began his ministry, 
Jesus was someone who loved to be with the outcasts, prostitutes, pimps, tax collectors. And what did Jesus do with them? He sat with them. I love to see Jesus understood where they came from. He must have thought, I was there once too on the outskirts, on the run, on the fringes of society. And Jesus loved on them. He forgave them and he healed them. Jesus was always with people. He didn't rule from above. Uh, He ruled from below. Uh, Jesus was always with people, not not using people as powerful leaders do, but loving people. I love to study the gospel stories. I love to do this about the gospel stories. Uh, I love to take the gospel stories and and just try to get everything I can from them. I love seeing Jesus, how he interacts with people. Whenever Jesus, man, he was a busy man, but whenever Jesus was with somebody, whenever Jesus was talking to somebody, it was like they were the only people in the room. Uh, Jesus always asked questions, even though he knew all the answers. You know, have you ever been with someone who felt like you felt like they knew everything and they didn't they didn't bother asking you? They, they felt like they were arrogant. They're detached. They felt like they knew it, that Jesus was not like that. When Jesus was talking to you, you were the only person he cared about. Uh, Jesus asked questions to draw people in. Uh, he touched them even physically, spiritually. He nurtured people. He loved people. He was with people. That was the heart of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 2, one of the things that we love to see, uh, what Matthew wants us to see is the contrast between Herod and Jesus. Herod, when he hears word that the Magi betrayed him, that they're with Jesus, he goes ballistic. And he orders the execution of every child under two because he wants all of his rivals eliminated. The population of Bethlehem at the time was probably around 1,000 people. Some scholars speculate that might have been 20 children who were, who were slaughtered. And it typified Herod. Herod ruled. He was self-centered. He ruled with an iron fist. He ruled with authority. He tried to instill fear in people. Uh, but Jesus, the contrast was the exact opposite. Jesus ruled not out of fear but out of love. Not out of violence but out of self-sacrifice. In Matthew 20. Uh, Matthew 20, Jesus typifies, he explains his style, his leadership. He says this in chapter 20, verse 25. It says, but Jesus called to them and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, you know, all the other rulers, they want to, they want to use people and exploit people for themselves. But he says, I'm not like that. I, I have come down not to exploit people, not to use people, but I lead by serving. I've come to lay down my life. I'm a king who has lost my, my crown, and I've become the lowest slave, and I've come to lay down my life. Herod wants to uh, have these ki- children killed to preserve his own life. Jesus is the king who was killed so that he can give us life. 
and bring many children back home. That's the king that we serve. I love the, uh, this quote by Sigrid Unset. Sigrid Unset was a Pulitzer Prize winning Nor- Norwegian author. I love to read this quote every Christmas. This is what she says. She says, and when we give each other Christmas gifts in his name, let us remember that he has given us a sun, the moon and the stars, and the earth with its forests and mountains and oceans, and all that live and move upon them. He has given us all green things and everything that blossoms and bears fruit, and all that we quarrel about and all that we have misused. And to save us from our foolishness, from all our sins, he came down to earth and gave us himself. That's the heart of our king, Jesus. You know, uh, my children are at the age, I have three children, and they're at the age, uh, they're 11, 10, and 7. They're at the age where they're starting to ask questions about Santa Claus. You know, they're starting to have some doubts about what's going on with that guy. You know, my son who is 10, has talked to me and asked me questions about Santa Claus just last, last week. And he's like, Dad, I don't even understand Santa Claus. Like, how is he able to visit every single house in one night? And he's like, Dad, we don't even got a chimney. Like, how's that happening? I was like, man, those, these are some good questions. Like, man, are you... So I was like, man, the, I was like, man, this thing is up. I got to just tell them. You know, I have to stop pretending. I know some parents are conflicted about it. So I was like, well, you know, let me tell, like, kids, let me tell you about this story, about where that comes from. So I told them the story about an actual saint. His name is Saint Nicholas. Some of you, you may know the story, which is more than a story, it's history. So I was like, let me break it down to you. Let's, let's talk history. Saint Nicholas was a saint. He lived in the third century near Turkey. He was a saint known for his, for his selflessness. It was said that he took all of his inherited wealth, which was massive, and he gave it all away. He was known to visit the countryside and give away and bless people. One of the best known stories of St. Nicholas was that uh, there were three poor sisters who were being sold into slavery, maybe even prostitution, by their father who could not afford, who was greatly in debt. And St. Nicholas uh, liquidated his assets And he gave that father a dowry for every single one of his daughters so that they could be married. Uh, St. Nicholas was celebrated for his his generosity. He was wealthy, but he became poor to bless, to protect. He became a patron saint of children and sailors who were in trouble. And in December, they started celebrating his, his birthday. Uh, and that was a tradition. So I was kind of, I broke it down to him. I was like, Santa's not real, kids, but St. Nicholas is. You know, that whole story of, of Santa Claus has its roots in a person who really lived. My kids looked at me and one of them said, so dad, does that mean we ain't getting Christmas gifts? That's the only thing they care about. Like, I, I understand all this history, but like, let's break it down to what this means for me. That's what we're concerned about. And I was telling them, well, it doesn't mean, I was like, we can still give each other gifts. That's cool. We can do that. But the spirit of St. Nicholas and ultimately of Jesus is we should give gifts to people who can't pay us back. That's what it's about. You know, this, uh, the whole idea in Sigrid Unset, what she says is that Jesus, God, is someone who's given us everything. He's the gift giver. He's given us everything on this earth, the mountains, the fields, 
every green thing. All of this was a gift. But she says, we've misused it. We fought over it. And Sigrid Unset said, in the, the last ultimate act, God gives us the gift of himself to forgive us, to heal us, to bring us back home. Uh, Christmas is about the life-giving gift. This king has come down not to rule us, but to save us and to serve us. And when you understand that, this is the last point. Uh, the only right response to that idea, Jesus is the king, the king who come to serve, is worship. That's the last thing. You know, we learn that from the Magi themselves. In verse 11, this is what it says. It says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The Magi responded by falling down. Remember, this is a child, and these are high-ranking officials. They fall down, and they worship Jesus. You only worship God. You only worship the king. They fall down and worship. If Jesus is the true and final and ultimate king, the only response is that we worship him. We worship him. You know, the reality is that everybody worships something. You know, if you're Christians, non-Christian, everybody worships something. Everyone lives for something. Our hearts were made for worship. We're made to live for and adore and exalt something in our lives. If not God, it's romance, it's sex, it's career ambition, it's family. We all worship something. Uh, a couple questions to help you know what you worship is this. One, what do you think about all the time? What do you obsess over? Secondly, what do you most easily spend your money on? There's some things that you most easily spend your money on. What is that? It's a clue as to what you worship. But the problem with worship something, anything other than God, is that it will always disappoint you. It cannot live up to the gold, God-like standard we place on it. It will always fail us. It will always give us diminishing pleasures. Uh, secondly, we're going to fail it. You know, We're not going to be able to live up to the perfect standards of perfect beauty or performance. Or we will fail the thing. But think about Jesus. If Jesus is your king, uh, he will go from glory to glory in your life. I've been a Christian since an early teenager, and Jesus has always gotten more beautiful, more glorious to me. Even as I decrease, I see, I, I see his glory increasing. The story of Jesus has become more profound and beautiful. And the presence of God has become more real, more central in my life. And here's the thing about Jesus. If we fail him, he will always forgive you. And he, the last promise he makes is, I'm always with you. You may fail me. I will forgive you. I'm always with you. He is the king, the Emmanuel. One expression of genuine worship is that we offer him our greatest gifts. We talked about those three things that um, the Magi gave Jesus. They were gold. Frankincense, which was a costly perfume, and mirror, which was an expensive oil. Uh, gold, obviously, is, was valuable not just then but now. And one of the ideas of those three gifts were that they, these were the greatest gifts anyone had. 
They were often those three gifts heirlooms. These were things that not only you had, but you passed down to your children. These were your most precious things that you possessed. And they offered it to Jesus. That's what worship is. Worship is when we, in response to who God is, give Jesus our very best things. We offer it up to him. You know, as we think about 2020, can we say that we want to worship? We want to give Jesus our very best things, our time, our resources, our talents. You might say, well, where do I give them to? Jesus is not present here with us physically. Matthew 25, Jesus says, whenever you give someone something that they need, like someone who's thirsty, give them a glass of water. Jesus says, what? You do it for me. Anytime you do anything for the least of these, that's me. You're blessing me. It's my people, people that I love. And Jesus says, offer all of those things to me. Finally, as we close this Advent season, as we think about the coming of Jesus, uh, finally, uh, we wait for the king. You know, at Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of the king. But even at Christmas, we're still waiting for the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. At the first coming of Jesus, Jesus came in humility and as a servant. But you know, in the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus comes again, it's not going to be in weakness, but in power. It's not going to be in weakness and power. Philippians tells us that when Jesus comes, every single person, every knee will bow down to Jesus and confess that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. One day Jesus will come in power and everyone will worship him. I love what Isaiah says. Isaiah talks about the, gives us a prophecy of, even of the second coming of Jesus. This is what he says. Mountains will break forth in singing and the trees will clap their hands. Mountains are going to be clapping and singing and all of creation will rejoice. When Jesus comes. Right now there are a lot of broken things. There might be broken things in your life. There might be pain. There might be uncertainty. There might be difficulty. But when Jesus comes back. He's going to bring a final healing. We live in a place in which the environment is messed up. When Jesus comes again. It says all of creation. Not just is going to be healed. But it's going to be so renewed. That it's going to clap and sing and rejoice when jesus came there was one star when he comes again there'll be trillions of stars in the sky rejoicing the mountains every tree is going to be standing up in anticipation of your king and at christmas we celebrate it's like a pre-party we already begin to celebrate it's a pre-party. He's coming again. He's come. He's coming again. And we can already start to celebrate that here as a church and as his people. The hymn that we sang, and I've been referencing Joy to the World. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Would we join not just with each other, all other people, but heaven and nature, all of creation, we are to join in the song of the king that has come, that will come again in glory. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we do live in darkness, 
in a dark world, but we give you thanks that you've come to be the light of the world. And we come celebrating, God, that you are with us, you are for us. We give you thanks also that you're coming again in glory. You're coming to make everything right. You are coming to bring heaven down. And I pray, God, now you lead us, you will lead us into be people of hope. Pray people who might not know you, God, who are still living in that darkness. Pray that this morning you would shine your light on them. That you would wake them and help them to see the stars and the skies are not random coincidences, but they are your handiwork. They are to draw us all into your presence, the presence of our creator and king. Thank you that you have come to make everything right anew. So I pray today would be a day of celebration, of joy, that you are our king. I pray that today we would release our anxiety and our fears of the future. I pray that we would rest and rejoice that you are King of kings, Lord of lords. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.